All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And we'll continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount. It's been a great time for me. I, I, I think that studying the Sermon on the Mount has been one of the most thrilling studies for me since I've been preaching. And I, I agree with what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, the words of Christ thrill my soul as nothing else can. And that's how I feel as I study the Gospels, as I study the Sermon on the Mount. I, I've said it, I think every sermon, I say it's the greatest sermon by the greatest preacher in the history of the world. So it ought to thrill our souls. We ought to be thrilled. We ought to be excited every time we open the pages. Every time I look at you and say, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, there ought to be a, 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 over the crowd somebody saying, yes, we're going back to the words of Christ. Because this, this should, it should thrill our souls. And today, this should thrill us. Because Jesus' words here are words telling us how to live life. And we need that. It's, a, it's more than advice. He's telling us. He's commanding us. Here's how you are to live life. And he tells us in, in uh, just flat out, straight up, here's how it is. You must live for. Here's how you need to live your life. You must live it for another world. That we don't live uh, in this world. We don't live for this world. That we're just pilgrims passing through. This world isn't our home. We are to live for another world. Everybody else lives. the sermon today, living for another world. That's what he's going to teach us. How to live for another world. So let's stand together and I want to read this passage to you. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. And Jesus is going to tell us, and I think this life, that'll be a good one. But today I want to look at how to live for another world. So I'm going to read verses 19 through 24. I think you're familiar with this passage. A very powerful the words of Christ. I hope they thrill your soul. Starting in verse 19. Jesus says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break in through and break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the, the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So let's pray together and then we'll look at how to live for a, another world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you. Words and not our own. And God, I pray that as I preach these things, you will help me, enable me, empower me. Uh, I've studied, I've put these notes together, these points together. I've done the best that I can. But I know that the words on my paper here are worthless, they're vain. Uh, they're I know that. So I am completely, 100%, but we are 100% entirely dependent upon your spirit. We'll do that. These words that we will study today in these verses will have a dramatic effect upon how we live our lives from this day forward, that we will all desire to live for another world. 
We thank you for the words of your Son. There's an old phrase that has been said about Christians for centuries, and it's becoming kind of more popular today than it, than it ever has been. And I don't Christians. They'll say this about a, a man or a woman who, who follows the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what they'll say. Maybe earthly good. That our minds are, are so heavenly that we look too much to the heavens that we can't be any earthly good while we're living here. That's what they say about us. That's what maybe not said about you, but it's said about Christians. It has been said about Christians throughout the ages. And what they're saying when they say this is that Christians live with their heads in the cloud. That Christians live disconnected from this world. That we don't live for what everybody else lives for down here. Connected from reality, that we are out of touch with reality, that we in a, a pie in the sky until we die kind of attitude, that we are so focused upon the heavenlies that we are no good for anything or anybody here on earth. Now I understand what they're saying, but I don't think anything can be further from the truth. I believe that the reality is we will never be any earthly good until we get a heavenly mind. Until we get so focused upon heaven, we will, we will never be any earthly good here. Until we set our affections on the world to come, we'll never be any good here in, in, in the earth. Until we start living in the light of eternity, we'll never be any good in, in here in this world. Until uh, we set our affections, our mind, our heart on where we are going, we'll never be any good while we're here. So I don't, I don't believe there's any truth to this at all. And I believe that's what Jesus is saying here. That we need to set our minds, our affections, our heart, our focus, our eyes on where we are going in order to be any good in this world that we live in. And he has been talking, and we're going to move to that now in, in chapter 6. He's been talking throughout the Sermon on the Mount, about religious things. He's been talking about beliefs, what we believe. He's been talking about our morals. He's been talking about the law and how we, uh, how we have the law in the Old Testament and how it applies to us today. He's been talking about hypocrisy. He's been talking about religious activity and how we are to worship. So he's been going into our religious activities, into our how we interact with God, and, and now he's getting ready to shift. Okay, he's going to he's going to change focus here, starting in verse nineteen, away from the religious, and he's going to go into our everyday life. So I want you to see that, and you've seen that in the the hypocrisy of the verses before, even of the law and of our morals and our religious worship, and now he goes into. The affairs of our lives. Jesus begins to meddle, I like that word, into our lives. He gets into where we live. He gets into to how we live, not on Sunday, but on Monday through Saturday. Because you cannot, he's going to say this here, that you cannot compartmentalize your life where you give part of your life or your weekend or your, or your Sunday to God and you can do your religious activity and you can have your worship. But it doesn't affect how you live any other part of your life. 
He's showing us here that we cannot be hypocrites and, and go to, they would go to, to worship on Saturday and, and then the rest of their life was no different. We go to worship on Sunday and the rest of our life is no different. He's saying you can't do that. You're going to have to live a life that affects everything in your life. It transcends all of life. So he's going into our money. We're going to talk about money. He goes into Your religion isn't any good. And then he's going to get into our worries. If your religion doesn't affect your worries, your religion isn't any good. He's going into your marriage. He's going into your home. He's going where you live in your workplace. He's getting into the things that you want to keep private and saying, no, 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 no. This religion hits every area of life. He gets into what you eat. He gets into what you wear. He's getting into end religion. It is an everyday religion. It's in all areas of our life with nothing off limits to him. So that's what he's getting into. And he tells us, here's Conversations and what you eat, what you drink, and what you wear, the money you spend. With your mind on heaven, with your eye towards another world. You're not living for what's in this world, you're living for another world. And that's what he's going to tell you. He's calling us to a radical way of life. And we're to be having our attention So I want to look at it today. We're going to work our way through these verses. And I want to ask three questions. Okay, three questions. It'll be good for you not just to write them down. But as you write those questions down, I want you to answer them. I want you, it's going to be good questions. Three good questions. And you write them down and you answer them. For yourself. For your family. You write them down and you answer them. And the answer to these three questions will tell you, are you living for another world or not? The answer to these three questions can tell you a lot about where you are spiritually. At the end of the sermon, I'll ask you where you're you going to spend eternity. But here, I want to ask you how you live your life. Jesus wants to know. He's, he's digging in. He's meddling in how we live our daily lives. Because it's, it's true that we try to live certain parts of our lives. here that in all areas of our life we need to live for another world. So again, three questions to see if we are heavenly minded or not. Three questions to see if we're living for another world. Three questions that will tell us a lot about our lives and our spiritual condition. One, what is your priority in life? What is your priority in life? What comes first? There's, I've seen diagrams of pyramids showing us our priorities. And at the very top, at the pinnacle, at that, at that point, at the top of the, the pyramid, is the number one thing in your life. 
The pyramid. What is at the, the pinnacle of the pyramid? What is at the, the point of that pyramid? What is the priority of your life? And he asks this question by asking by Lay on up for yourselves, you can count them with me, lay on up for yourselves treasures upon the earth. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there's three times he uses the word treasure. So he's asking us, what do you do in life? You say, what's a treasure? I love the word treasure. It's a, you, you, in my mind, I almost did it this morning. I, I thought, I'm going to bring up two treasure chests. Because that's where my mind goes, is it's treasure chest, my kid's mind. If I ask them, what do, what do you think of it when you think of a treasure bring two treasure chests. So I didn't bring them. I want you to imagine them. That on one side we have a treasure chest here and we have a treasure chest here. And we are filling both treasure chests up. And in those treasure chests you're going to put, again these are, uh, it's like a bank. It's like a storehouse. The things we put in those treasure chests are what we value most in life. I'm not going to put things I don't value in a treasure chest. In a treasure chest I'm not going to take my notes and wad them up and throw them away. That, that's a garbage can. This is talking about a treasure chest. I'm going to take things that I value more than anything else in this world, and I'm going to put it in a treasure chest. I'm going to give me a key. I'm going to lock it up, and I'm not going to let anybody touch it because I value these things more than I value anything else in the world. In the treasure chest. And this illustration of a treasure. Shows what's most important to us, what we value more than anything else in life, what's at the top of that pyramid. And he only gives us two options here two treasure chests. So on my left, and I may get these confused later and put that one on my right, I'm not sure. I get confused sometimes. But on my left, we'll say is the earthly treasure chest. lay up would be store up it would be to stockpile it would be to stack like you're stacking money in that time they'd be stacking coins lay up treasure so you'd be stockpiling you'd be stacking you'd be you'd be hoarding and that word hoarding you'd just be building it up Is the things in here in this world. It's things that, that you live for on earth. For them, their stuff would have been I know you're thinking about you put food in a treasure chest. Yeah, when you, you worry about whether you're going to eat today and you have a little bit extra, you're going to put it in a treasure There's three things they valued more than anything else there. It was food, clothes, and money. So they would take their food and they'd put it in the treasure chest. They'd take their, their clothes. You, you hear that all the time. That These kings would have all the, the finest of clothes. They'd be... Uh, 
their coins, their gold and their silver, and their, their fine metals, and they put it in the treasure chest. That's what they valued on the earth. I, w- I want you to read Luke, Luke 12. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it to you. But you, you'll see the kind of the picture that we get here in Luke 12, verse 16. I do because I have no room. He ran out of room. He had so much. What shall I do? I have no room to, to bestow my fruits. He said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. He's building bigger treasure chests. And there will I bestow all my fruits and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So he's, he's, he's sitting all these things in his treasure chest. Stuff. He's filling it full of things on earth. Putting all of his time, his effort, his attention into things on earth. He's getting everything he can get and putting it in his treasure chest. He's he's getting it and he's putting it in his treasure chest. He's filling an earthly treasure. Accumulating things. Money. Hoarding money, just keeping it in our treasure chest, putting it to the side. I've got so much money, I'm just putting it in. Maybe you don't have TVs and, and different gaming systems, and we just hoard it all up and, and keep it there. That's our earthly goods. It could be our clothes. We're just hoarding and stockpiling. Go to many of our closets, and we, we haven't stockpiling clothes for years. Setting it all aside in our treasure chest. And that's the earthly treasure that we're, we're just getting and, and putting away. Getting and putting away. And then he gives us a second. Chest with me. That would have been so fun. You guys would remember the sermon forever. The second treasure chest in verse 20, he says there's a heavenly treasure. It's not on. Lay up, stack our treasures in a heavenly treasure chest and not an earthly. He'll say that in a second, but this earthly treasure chest, the clothes that you put in there, get this, the moths will come and eat those clothes. The food that you put in there, the rats will come. And that's where the word where he says rust will come and, and eat, eat it away. It's a word that means rats will come and eat your food. The gold coins that you come and put in there, guess what? The thieves will come and And then as soon as we get it off the car lot, we pass another car that goes by and we say, I don't like this one anymore, I don't want that one. It don't last, the luster goes away. The new clothes that you get, it may not be moths that are eating it away, but it will go away. It will, uh, maybe not, it'll go out not be a fad anymore. I don't know, the 80s and 90s clothes are coming back. I, so I, I don't know, pull those out of your closets. But he says over here in this one that we should be stockpiling things for heaven. This is good. In a heavenly treasure box. Anything that we can take with us beyond the grave goes in this treasure. 
beyond this world. That when I die, it goes with me to heaven. Number one is my own soul. I better value my own soul more than I value the things of this world. In that Luke 12 passage, he says that he had all those things, but God comes and says, your soul will be required of thee this day. That you put all your attention, all your time, all your effort into getting things and storing them up on the earth and putting them in barns and putting them in treasure chests. More time on your soul than you do anything else on the earth. I, we must value our soul more than anything else in the world. You must not. Make sure you're right with God because that's the first thing that you're going to take you into eternity. Number two is other souls. I can take with me we can take them with us. I can take my kids with me. I value my children's souls more than I do what I can gain in this world. I can take my kids with me. I can make sure that they know the gospel, that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they hear about Him, they love Him, and they serve Him. I can make sure of that. And not just my kids, but my family members, that I treasure them more than I treasure anything else in this world, right? Your souls, our family souls, our friends' souls. That old song, I, I love it. And when you get to heaven, I, I, I didn't look up the lyrics, but I love that song. Thank you for giving to the Lord. And when you get to heaven, there'll be people that can come up to you and say, I was that kid. Yeah. To the Lord. I'm here today because you shared the gospel with me. And I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You took me to heaven with you. Our own soul. Other souls. Who are you taking with you? I can't save them, but I can make sure they know how to be saved. I can make sure they know the gospel. And third, our service for Christ goes with us. God rewards the good we do. What you do in this world for Christ will go with you into eternity. Knocking on a door goes with you in eternity. Visiting a nursing home goes with you in eternity. Giving to the poor, giving to the church goes with you for eternity. Sunday school teachers, what you do for him here, it goes with you in eternity. What are you doing for Christ? We spend an inordinate amount of time stockpiling things in this world, in, in the earthly treasure box. But what are we spending time? Because he says here in this passage that you're going to go in. And, and he says, look, he says, lay not, don't do that. Don't lay up treasures here. He's not saying you can't have anything and you can't, you can't get anything. But he's saying don't make this treasure box your priority. Don't put it first. Don't put it at the top of your, your pyramid. Set, set that second or third. But most importantly, make sure you're laying up treasures in heaven. The heavenly treasures ought to go to the top of our priority list. Or is your own soul going to heaven? Or are you taking others with you? And how are you serving God while you're here?
was one of the richest men who ever lived in the history of the world. He died with more money than anybody could ever count. He had 16 people at his funeral. And to this day, they still fight over his things. Worthless. And we spend all of our time on this one where wrath, rust and, and moth and thieves take it away. He says, lay up yourselves treasures in heaven where nobody can take them away. Lay up yourselves treasures in heaven where the moth ain't going to come and eat it. Where the thieves aren't going to come and steal it. Where it's, it's never going to go away. Be richer here than you are here. Be richer in heaven than you, than you are on earth. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. Take more with you. Oh, that's a good one. Write that one down. I'm spending more time on this point than I wanted to. Take more with you than you leave here. 1 Peter 1.4 says, We have an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and faith not away, that is reserved for us in heaven. So stop living for the earthly things, he says here. Stop living for the things. Stop living for the, the stuff. Stop living for the, those things that the moth and the rust is going to corrupt and where the thieves are going to break through and steal. Don't live for that treasure box. Live for the treasures in heaven that cannot be taken away. Live for heaven and not for earth. That's where your heart will be also. You say, what does that mean? Where your earth is going to be so focused here. It's going to be so intent here. It's going to be so on this all the time. How can I have more? How can I hold on to what I have? You'll be so focused here. That's where your heart is. That's what you love. But if your heart is in the heavens, that's what you'll spend your time thinking about. Your treasure reveals your heart. I'll give you a quick story and then I'll, I'll move on. Just, just to show you where my heart is. And, and Emma came up to me this week. I think it was Tuesday. She, she came up to me. practice that I had this summer. She said that, and she was saying it in the cutest little redhead girl voice that you could ever imagine. That tomorrow's the last practice, and it starts at, at 2 o'clock, and I know that you usually work, and you're at the church, and you're doing things at 2 o'clock, and she's going over all this with you. Steph going to tell And I'm sitting there thinking, I've got too much to do. There's no way that I can do that. And I looked at her, and I, you know, as a good dad would, I said, we'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. You know, and, and she knows what that means. No. Play gymnastics. And at that moment, I said, I value, I treasure her. I'm sorry. More than I do a sermon. And I said, I'll walk there if I have to. Because I treasure her. She's 
That's top of, the, of my priorities at the moment. And I went up there and I sit and I watched her with a smile on my face. And every little tumble she did, every little cartwheel she did, she turned around and looked at me. study. I may have to get up earlier the next day and study a little bit more, but she was worth it. And where my heart was, was with her. And I, I treasured her and I, I pursued her and I went after her. Shows where your heart is. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Do you spend more time on the earthly things or do you spend more time on the heavenly things? I'm, I'm afraid that there's a lot of people in churches today that spend their whole life chasing these things and they never think once about what they're taking with them into heaven. Jesus is showing us where our priority should be. Is it earthly stuff or is it heavenly? So answer that question. What's your priority in life? Because Jesus here makes it very clear we must have a heavenly priority. Where are you hoarding your riches? In earth or in heaven? Second question. That was question number one. What is your priority in life? Question number two. You answer that question for yourself. What is your priority? What comes first? And I'm not giving you a list of ten things. I'm giving you two. Is it earthly things or is it heavenly things? Which one do you, one do you think about most? i got to move on. How do you see things? How do you view things? And that's what he's saying there. You see that in verse 22. He's saying, I want you to go with me on this one too. Just read along with me and, and notice the word that he uses. In the first two, three verses, he used the word treasure. And in 22 and 23, he uses the word eye. Look at it. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, thine eye be single. Thy whole body shall be full of light. But thine eye, three times he says that eye. He's using an illustration of an, of an eye. Three times he's wanting us to look at, to see how we see things. How we see and view life. What is our outlook on life? How do we view things in life? Do we view it with a heavenly perspective or an earthly perspective? That, that's what he's saying here. And, and the statement is, the light of the body is the eye. The eye is, you guys know this, it's, it's, it's easy. The eye is how the body sees. If we were had no eyes, the body couldn't see. So the eye is, again, the window of the soul. Without the eyes, we can't see. It's the light of the body. And that word light is it's a flashlight. It's the, the lamp. It's how we see things. Without our eyes, our life would be dark. So he says here, the light of the body is the eye. If thine eye be single, so he's giving us here how to view life. The outlook on life, where our focus is, where our attention is, where we keep our eyes on. How we see life. So he says here, if your eye is, and he gives us two options. Is your eye single or is your eye evil? There's only two ways to view life. It's either going to be single or it's going to be evil. Which eye do you have? You're either going to, like the first point, you're either going to value the, the earthly things or you're going to value the heavenly things. Your eye is either going to be single or it's going to be evil. Which one do you have? Look what he says again. If, thine, if therefore thine eye be single, then your whole body, your whole life will be full of life. What does it mean to have a single eye? It doesn't mean to have one eye. It means to have single-minded attention. 
single-minded focus. That you are like a, 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 the term is like a laser beam. That it's just, it, it's zoomed in on one thing. It's like a horse when they put blinders on the horse. They put those blinders, uh, I've used horses twice in illustrations today. I don't know where that's coming from. But you put it on, on, on horses, you Knowing where they're going, where their focus is. Because as soon as they get this, as soon as a horse, I, I feel like I'm a horse expert. <laughs> maybe I am. You guys don't know. Maybe I've read about horses. As soon as you take a blinder off this way, a horse is going to get its attention. It's going to get distracted. And it's, it's going to start looking at other things. And before you know it, it's not racing straight ahead anymore. It's going in a blinders on it to make sure it's going in one direction at all times. It's going straight ahead. You don't want to be distracted so that a horse has a single eye, a single attention, a single focus, a single minded. It's not distracted. It's, it's, it's a laser beam and focus on where it's going and what single minded focus on heaven. We must have a single eye. And if we have a single eye, then we will see things in the right way. Do you remember that passage? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, that's where our eyes ought to be. Where should we be? And where is Jesus? Never be distracted. We as Christians must have blinders on so we can't be distracted by the world but have our attention on Jesus. The eyes of our faith are always on Christ. Colossians 3 says, If ye be, if you're risen with Christ, then seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affections, your eye, on things above. Where should our focus be? Where should our attention in life be? He says in the heavens. Why should they be in the heavens? Because that's where Christ is. If ye be risen with Christ, if you're saved, then you ought to seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your affection on things above Above, not on things on the earth. Our eyes should be into the heavens. That's where our single eye should be. And when we do that, we see things in a different way. When our eyes are on Jesus, when our focus is on Him, when we are blinded with blinders, we see beyond today. We see into the future. We see into, into, into the heavens. We see into the glories ahead. We see into eternity. We see things in a spiritual way and not a, an earthly way. We have eyes. The importance of church. Have you ever had somebody look at you and say, I don't know why. I see no value in going to church. We see with the eye of faith and know there's value in being here. 
Or even worse, I see no value. You, you can say that to somebody else. I see no value in going on Sunday nights. No, we see with a different eye. We see value. I see no value. Why, why do you read your Bible? I see, we, we see with a different eye. We see with a single eye. blinders on. The Bible does the same thing. Prayer does the same thing. We see through the eyes of faith, not through the eyes of the world. We see with a single eye. We have 20-20 spiritual vision. They're the ones that are blind. We're the ones that see. Because if we see with a single eye, we see in fullness of light. We see things from God's perspective and not from the world's perspective. We see the value of the home. We see the value We see that it's get this, and I don't want to be mean about it, but this is this is the truth. We see the the value in spiritual over sport. We want our kids raised to be faithful, not famous. We want our kids raised to be right with God and not rich. We see things differently with how we raise our kids. We see things different because we see with an eye of faith it's full of life. People give me the evil eye all the time. I see it all the time while I'm preaching sermons. I look out and I'm like, ooh, that guy, that guy gave me the evil eye. <laughs> Steph gives me the evil eye some too. That's why she sits over there. But it says evil eye. You see that verse 23, but thine eye be evil. That's the opposite of a single eye. If your eye is evil, it means it's divided. The blinders are off. I'm pulled in all kinds of different directions. There's, all, there's people all, even in churches, with their eyes on Christ, they're pulled in all kinds of different directions. In a spiritual way, and they'll come in, in, into church, and, and they'll they'll give Christ a, a Sunday morning for an hour, and their eyes here today. But where's their eye tomorrow? Where's their eye on Saturday night? Where's their attention every every other day of the week? You see that Christianity is not just a one day thing; it's an everyday thing. So their eye, our eyes, to be on Christ on Monday, our eyes on Christ on Tuesday, our eyes on Christ on Wednesday. Do you need me to go to every day of the week? I can. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Our eyes are, as always, keep your eyes on Jesus. But some people only have their eye on Jesus one Sunday a month. And it's over here. And it's over there. And it's, I got this going on, and I got that going on, and I got this, and I'm all over the place. And, I, and I'm, like a, I'm like a horse without blinders on. your eyes are all over the place. And there's all kinds of Christians that are just all over the place. All over the place. And that's what an evil eye is. It's distracted. It's darkened. In the eye chart, they don't have 20-20 spiritual vision. They can't see the letter E. <laughs> I mean, I think that's right. The letter E is the They can't see the top 
It says here that their eyes are darkened. They focus on the wrong things. They chase after the wrong things. I've seen people. They'll come to church and they'll get focused for a little while. Fame now. They're chasing fortune now. They're chasing something else somewhere else. You know why they do that? Because they got their eyes on Jesus. How many things is your eye on right now? Chasing after the wrong things. Or I can be self-centered. It can be greedy. It can be worldly. You can chase worldly, worldly things. We look down at this world and we're chasing everything in an earthly matter when our eyes should be in the heavens. I mean, it says there, when your eyes are in the heavens, you see things in the right way. You see things in, the, in God's way. You see value. You see importance. You see things the way God wants you to see it. I think this is an easy choice. You want to walk in the light or you want to walk in the dark? I mean, it's, it's an easy answer when you wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning and every light in the house is off and you're running into every wall and stubbing every toe you have and you turn the light on and you think, much better with all the lights on. But it says there, if thine eye be evil, thy whole body should be full of darkness. If your eyes divided, you see people in life that are aimless. Just all over the place. Our aim is Christ. This is the reality for most people. If you look at their lives, they can't see beyond here and now. They can't see beyond a phone. They can't see beyond the next vacation. They can't see beyond the sports. They can't see beyond churches are living for everything and everybody but Jesus Christ. Their eye is everywhere. Sickness, or I'll get right. Right? You see that a lot, don't you? Somebody will get sick and they come in right here, you know? Jesus is here teaching us that we must have a heavenly perspective at all times. Not just a heavenly priority, but a heavenly. Romans 8, 6 says, To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded, which is our eyes, is life and peace. Last one, and we'll be done. I got time. We're doing okay. We've asked, what is your priority in life? Answer that one. We've asked, what is your
Question number three, who has power over your life? Who has control over your life? The question is, who will you serve? Notice in what he says in verse 24, no man can you see that, serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You can't have, you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve two gods. So what he's saying there, he's talking about a master and a servant. You're going to have to choose who you serve in life. You're going to have to choose who your master is in life. You're going to have to choose who controls you. You're going to have to choose... And the illustration is, is not a, a boss. It's not an employee underneath a boss. You can have two bosses, but you can't have two masters. A master and a servant. This is slavery language. This is you are nothing but a tool to them. It's like a carpenter who has a hammer. It belongs to the carpenter. He can do whatever he wants with it. It's his all the time. He can sell it. He can buy it. He can own it. It was total and it was undivided. It fully belonged to the master. And that's what this is talking about. This illustration will show us who runs the show in my life. Who tells me? The puppet strings of my life. Who has power over me? Because you can't have two. That's what he says. Are you look at it? No man can serve. One master over here telling you to do one thing, and another master over here telling you to do another. You've got to choose which master you're going to follow. You can't have two. Pick one. Who's going to tell you what to do in life? You see this? He's teaching us how to live life. He tells you what to do. Because you can't have two. Again, you can have two bosses, yeah, but you can't have two masters. It's like you can't have two wives. You've got to pick one. Some people try it. You can't have two wives. You can't have two religions, can you? You can't be Muslim and Christian. You've got to pick one and go with it. You can't have two gods. Muslim religion will say one thing. Christianity will say another one. You're going to have to pick which one you're going to be. Same thing with wives. I mean, you have two wives. One will tell you to do one thing. The other will tell you to do another one. I'm going to have to pick a wife. You can't have two favorite teams. Winner every year, but you got to pick one. You got two teams. If you're a Cowboys fan and you're a Redskins fan, at that moment you can't say that. I hope they. I hope they go to the top. <laughs> I hope nobody wins. In that moment, when they oppose each other, when they go against each other, you have to choose which team you're for. Right? Cowboys, Redskins. Which one is it? You can't have two religions. You can't have two masters. You can't have two favorite teams. You've got to pick which side you're on. That's what he's saying here. You can't have two. You can't play the middle. You can't be 100% devoted in two different directions. I heard a story. I was reading Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite old preachers. I was preaching on this passage. 
He was telling a story about an old farmer. And I, I think he was talking about cows. Newborn cows in, in, their, in their farm. And he said, he went and told his wife, we got two brand new cows. He said, God has blessed us with these cows. So one is going to be God's. And one will be ours. She said, okay, which one? He said, well, we'll, we'll let them grow. said, look to his wife, he said, God's cow died. Sooner <laughs> or later, you got to choose. And the problem is, most of the time, God loses out. We say God is the master of our lives, and he tells us what to do. But what happens when what God tells us, what, what God says isn't what we want to do. That's when it really proves who your master is, doesn't it? I said when they oppose, when they go against each other, we'll say God until what God says is different than what I want to do. And at that moment, we've got to decide who's my God, me or God. When God tells me to do something I'm comfortable. When God tells me to believe something that I, you know, I'm not really comfortable in believing that. I read that in the Bible, but I'm not real comfortable with that. I think I'll just go with what I say. Who's really your God? Who's, who are you slaves to? It's me. When it's time for me to get married and God says I need to marry someone like this, but I say, you know what, I really love her. And when God says it's, it's man and woman and not man and man, but I feel like this. Which way are you going to go? You've got to pick your master. You've got to pick who's going, to, who's going to tell you what to do. You've got to say, who's going to have power? Judas tried it. I'll be with Jesus and I'll do what I want to do too. He tried to serve Jesus in money. And at the end of his life, he sold Jesus out for money. That he loved the world more than he loved God. Time and truth go hand in hand. Given enough time, we'll see the truth of who we really serve. Who is really the master of my life? Who is really the one making the decisions of my life? Who is really the one that's pulling the puppet strings of my life? Who is the master? Who is bowing down? Who, who you follow? Because in the end, you'll end up holding on to one and despising the other. You're going to have to choose one or the other. Because at the end there, it says you can't serve God and mammon. The word there means money. You can't be slaves to money. It could be filling the blank there with anything. You can't. Well, you got. Because you can't have both. So it can be, you can't serve God and, and self. You can't serve God and fill in the blank with whatever mammon you want it to be there. You can just fill in the blank. You can't serve God and whatever else. You've got to pick one. What a man loves most, that's what his master will be. Whichever one you love the most. 
Joshua told Israel in Joshua 24, Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's what we're going to do. Exodus 20, the very first command, You can have no other gods before me. Nothing goes before God. God must be at the, at the pinnacle of our priorities. He is the, the In all areas of life. In my home, with my money, with my kids, with my wife, with my, with my hobbies. In every area of our life, I have one master, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you're going to Jesus tells me what to do. That's what you're going to say. He gets first rank. He gets first position. But is that a true tells us to do. Telling me what to do. Is he the one with full decision making powers over me? That when it comes to I, his, he says and I say, I veto what I say. We bow to the master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see what he's saying there? Jesus is saying that we must have a heavenly power over our lives. That's how we live with power over our lives. But the rest of our week doesn't. So answer that question. Who is your master? And these are deep, heart-searching questions, are they not? I used to tell a story to the youth kids when I was a youth pastor. I'm going to tell it again. It's kind of silly, but it's a good way for us to close. I used to love the, the, the show Friends. When I was growing up, we'd watch it on TV. I know you maybe you haven't seen it, maybe you have. But at one point in one of the episodes, one of the one of the girls in the she was dating the wrong people, taking the wrong jobs, everything was just terrible. And she finally went to the other friend in the episode and she looked at her and she said, I give you full decision-making power in my life. Everything I do, I have to go through you first. And the other girl was like, Yes, you know I get to make decisions. And everything. Should I date this guy? She gave the answers. Should I eat this? She gave the answers. Should I go there? She gave the answers. It was full decision-making power in her life until that girl said something that she didn't want to do and she took the power back. We must give full decision-making power of our lives unto Jesus and never take it back. Proving Who has the priority in your life? What is your perspective in life? And who has power over your life? The answer to those three questions will tell a lot about your life and about your spiritual condition. Jesus here is calling us to a
So the question is, are you living for another world? Based on the answer to those three questions, you answer that for me. Are you so earthly minded that you are no heavenly good? Or are you so heavenly minded that you are too than you've done living for this world. You tell me. He's going to judge our works. And, 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 and the, the fires will tell whether what we did was wood, hay, and stubble or whether it's precious stones. The wood, hay, and stubble, it will burn up. It will be, it'll be gone. It will be incinerated because it was a waste of time and life. That's these earthly treasures. But those things that we did for Christ will last forever. And they'll be refined through the fire and prove that our lives were worth what we lived. So you tell me, are you living for another world? Or are you living for this world? Understand this world is not our home. We're just passing through. We're only here for a short time and eternity is, is beckoning us. Just like those, those two places in, in Ohio and in Texas had no idea that in that moment, in that, in that twinkling of an eye, that they were going to be gone. That they're... You better make sure now that you're living for eternity and not for this earth. One of those guys that was in the Walmart yesterday in Texas they were interviewing him on CNN last night. He was a military guy. He said he was in some store. He said they heard the shooting and they pulled down that cage to, to lock everybody in that place. Another guy, he was, again, he's a military guy. He said, we pulled that cage up because we saw kids running. He said, and as we were Pulling that cage up, he said, I grabbed every kid that I could, and I got out of there. Every kid that I could get in my arms. And as they were interviewing him, he looked at him and he said, I hope that's not going to be Christians in heaven one day. And we look around us, and, and the heavenly treasure box is empty. I shut the cage and I sit there and waited until till, till heaven came. I got out. My heavenly treasure box is empty. My eye was nowhere near in heaven. I live for here. You stand before God and it's empty. And you look around and say, I wish I'd done more. I could have done more. The money that I hoarded up, I could have, done, I could have put, put it somewhere else. I could have put it to good use. I could have done When you get to heaven, it's all going to be, I wish I'd spent more time looking straight into my phone. God, I wish I'd... Are you living for another world, Christians? And then my last question is, are you going to heaven? Do you value your... As I look around the room today, there's probably somebody here who's not going to heaven. They value what they're doing and how they're living here. 
12, and I know I'm taking a little bit more of your time, but I'm going to read the rest of it. I wanted to do that just, just to remind you of how valuable your soul is. Again, since To, to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns. And I will build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, it's his soul. The soul is the most valuable thing that you have. Make sure that you value your soul. I will say to my soul, God said unto him in verse 20, what a tragic turnaround. You fool. You fool. You live for the wrong thing. This not thy This may be the last time you step foot in the church. For tonight your soul may be required of you. Pastor in Appomattox, a 27-year-old pastor at a small little church, and my, the chairman of my deacons was one of the best men I ever knew. One Sunday, he was sitting there drinking coffee with me. The next Sunday, during the week, he got out of shovel snow and died of a massive heart attack. And I was doing his funeral the very next week. One of the first funerals. That's the shortness of his life. It's but a breath. Here today and gone tomorrow. That's the shortness of life. It's passing. It won't last long. Understand the, the shortness of life and the suddenness of death. It can happen at any time. Your soul could be required of you today, right now, as we step out of here. It could be required. Twenty, thou fool, this not thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Who gets your stuff? Verse 21. So is he that layeth up treasure for Understand the shortness of this life. Understand the suddenness of death. And understand the length of eternity. Lose your own soul. Look unto Jesus. Yes. Back again and Get this, with the eye of faith, we look at him with the heart of faith. That's how Again, understand, just like that passage said, the short. living for this world to living for another world. Every Christian
Help us to lay up our treasures in heaven. Help us to have our eyes on, on heaven. Help us to, to live under the power and the master. not living in the light of eternity. They're not valuing their soul. May today be the day that they believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Put their full faith and trust in Him. And no one else have a single eye of faith in Him. Please, God, bless this invitation time. May one respond in faith, please. And may we all live for another world. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the music plays, y'all.